Hello, Bitcoiners. My name is Ansel Lindner, and this is Bitcoin and Markets. On this show, we honestly explore Bitcoin to the best of our ability. We take a look at stats, metrics, the tech, and the economics behind it all. My goal is to stay ahead of the curve and to take you along with me. Thanks for joining me. Let's go. All right, Bitcoiners, thank you for joining me. Hope you're having a great Friday. Before you get started on the weekend, though, I got to give you your weekly dose of Friday fundamentals. Pretty big week in the space. We had Facebook dropping their white paper. If you are not aware of that, you're probably living under a rock somewhere. But uh, I'll talk about some of my thoughts there. Of course, Binance and the fallout from them closing their doors to U.S. customers. And last piece that I have here for news is going to be the Fed and the ECB, the central bank issues that we see going on this week. All right. And before I get into the price segment, I just want to give a shout out to the supporters on Patreon. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. It's much needed and very appreciated. If you're a regular listener to the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Bitcoin and markets for $5 a month. You become a member on Patreon and in Discord, so you get access to the member-only chats on Discord. We're growing our community. There's also other ways to support the show, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. And lastly, sign up for the free report, guys. I, I talk about different things on the report. Sometimes it's the same, sometimes it's different than the podcast. Plus, you can see the charts that I'm looking at and I'm talking about on the show, you know, some of those these fundamentals. Okay, let's get into our price segment price talk. All right, right now on Bitstamp, $99.15. $9,915. We are at daily highs or roughly at daily highs, uh, yearly highs. Everything is looking up and up. Two things on this. We are kind of in this rising wedge. It's not perfect, but we are in a rising wedge, hitting the top of that rising wedge as well as the round number of 10,000. And if you look back in the bear market back there, 2018, you can see that there is some resistance at 10,000. So there's a a few things that could possibly uh, stall this price out or cause it to reverse. We'll have to see. But there is an incredible amount of just underlying demand right now. I don't think anybody is wanting to sell at these prices, even though I think this is not the time to be opening along. This is the time to be taking profits. Of course, I've been calling for a pullback for a couple months now, or at least a correction. Uh, they usually come in 30% intervals. So we'll see how that compares to our next pullback. There will be a correction in the future. Don't let FOMO get ahead of you here, okay? Don't go all in at 10000 Um, I mean, you can, and if you have a time horizon of several years, that's fine. But don't open up 100x long as we break 10000 okay? That is not a smart thing in my mind. I've seen several other charts that uh, people are convincing themselves that this is just the start of the breakout, but we've already... We're over 3x from the bottom, so be careful. Be careful. I'm not a moon boy. 
I'm not going to sit here and tell you Bitcoin is going to the moon now. And I'm not, I don't even put in my titles and stuff. Maybe I should because I'd get a few more listeners. But I'm not a moon boy that's going to put in my title, Bitcoin going to the moon? Question mark. You know, I, I'm not doing that. I'm trying to give you an honest opinion here. I think we've gone too far too fast. If you look at some of Tour Demeester's work, he's saying that this is one of these periods, like one of the fastest moving periods in Bitcoin history. And that's true. Now, is that just the start of like some institutional wave? Like, yes, I think that when the institutions, the tipping point happens, it's going to move a lot faster than we could ever realize. But I think we will be set up for that prior, right? It's not going to just like disobey all other things going on in the market and all of a sudden we pump by $50,000. I think it's going it's it's a thing that builds, okay? And you can see in price history and uh, you know, past price movements what uh, to expect coming up. That is an argument for TA. Okay? There is no way that you cannot do TA. I'm sorry, there isn't. Because if you buy because you think it's cheap today versus tomorrow, you're doing some form of technical analysis. Yet I think the people that say don't trade, that's fine because trading is dangerous. But I don't agree with people that say technical analysis is worthless because you have to do technical analysis. Any form of price, like talking about price or um, buying it today because of the future of Bitcoin, the Bitcoin world, you are implying that you are doing some price analysis on this, okay? And so you cannot get away from technical analysis. I think the people that just talk smack on technical analysis are just exposing their ignorance of what it really is. All it is, is taking lessons from history, the past historic price movements, and trying to use that to predict the future. And it's not 100%, but it can give you an idea. Look at the shape of bear markets and bull markets in Bitcoin. That shape is not random. There's these parabolic moves that last a year or two, and then a sharp crash followed by a bear market for a year. Like, that's not just random chance. That is how these cycles work, okay? That's how the human psyche works. So anyway, rant over. Just <laughs> I'm just saying that there will be a correction in the future. This is probably more likely than not at this point. Last week, I, I think it was last week, I said if I had to um, make a prediction for this week, I would say slightly higher. It's significantly higher you know, by 5%. But uh, I think next week, if you're asking me for a prediction for next week, I'm going to say lower than today. So take that for what it's worth. All right. <laughs> this is not investment advice though, guys. I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants, just like everybody else. I mean, nobody knows. I am more of a macro guy at heart. And then I try to see macro in the micro. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> I hope I'm not an idiot, but I probably am. Okay, let's move on. 
some fundamental drivers of demand that we've seen. Um, if you subscribe to the report, you've seen multiple times I've included stories about Japan and South Korea. That whole area is really building up with tons of like proper exchanges. Like these are large companies that are launching exchanges and they're just starting to roll out now. Okay. Um, lot large companies in South Korea are getting behind crypto wallets and, and uh, other ventures in Bitcoin. And so there is this underlying demand, underlying push coming from those, that area of the world. The other real fundamental driver is this, the, uh, currency war, right? And China, U.S. trade war, how that is affecting Forex around the world. There's lots of capital flight that's happening out of China. Probably capital flight out of every country, but China has a lot of it. And Bitcoin isn't going to be a huge significant portion of that, but it's going to be a portion. There's time, there's been time now to work out uh, backdoor ways to use Bitcoin, to invest in Bitcoin. I've heard the OTC desks are super, super busy over there in China. And so there's, there are ways to, to use it for the capital flight type option. Let's move on to mining. Hash rate, not much to talk about here. We did have an all time high by a very, very uh, slim margin. Next difficulty adjustment is about five days away and it should be 1.8% roughly, give or take. If we do see a correction, I think that this hash rate will come down more towards even and, or this difficulty adjustment will, will be more towards even than at this rate. And overall, it's just kind of plateaued. So out of the last 10 difficulty adjustments, we've had six that have been basically zero, you know, within a half a percentage point either way. That is very flat. Of course, the other ones have been uh, pretty positive, a 4% to 5% increases and an 11% increase. But overall, you know, it's not moving very quickly. Six out of the last 10 difficulty adjustments have been flat. That says something. All right, next. Google Trends. This week's estimated interest for Google Trends is picking up again. So that does support some uh, upward price movement. Again, I believe this is a real-time indicator um, that can inform a breakout or if it's a false breakout or a real breakout. And we are seeing some uh, picked up interest here, but it's, it's less than it was back in beginning of May. This is worldwide numbers for the search term Bitcoin. So it's less than it was back in May, even as we're approaching 10,000. So we'll have to see how this shakes out, but uh, that is Google Trends. All right, Lightning Network. We continue to see more nodes coming online. The number of channels, again, continues to decrease, and the network capacity is pretty flat, right around 950 Bitcoins. Big news for Lightning Network this week was that uh, L&D released their iOS and Android apps in their alpha stage. Uh, they The two cool things about this are autopilot, so you can set it to open and close channels automatically for you. The other cool thing is that it's running Neutrino, which is it's a more private light client a node, so it is a full node, but it doesn't have, uh, it doesn't need a bunch of stuff from the Bitcoin blockchain. So you can run it with 
a very small footprint on your mobile phone. Um, and there's also watchtower integration in there. So there's a bunch of new things that were all rolled out at once. And it's pretty exciting. If this wallet, if there is demand in the market for this wallet, it's very, very cool. But if there is demand in this, this market for the wallet, we should see the number of nodes skyrocket. So I'm going to be watching that closely over the next month or so. Um, and especially when they go into beta, because, um, you know, alpha may be a little bit different. There's this kind of hardcore people, uh, but they, there should be a significant move in the number of nodes. If there is not, that tells me that there is still little demand for spending Bitcoin. And as we get into this bull market, there is going to remain little demand to spend Bitcoin. Another thing to note here on Lightning Network is we are getting close to 10 million in capacity, $10 million in capacity. So even though the actual number of Bitcoins is flat or slightly down over the last 30 days, uh, the network capacity in dollar terms is up just because the price is up. So that's great. And remember my kind of uh, ballpark math here was around a hundred million. We're going to see a lot more interest from merchants, a lot more interest from like app developers and things because there is more value to be captured. $10 million for the entire lightning network. That's not like that doesn't wet people's beaks enough to get in. Uh, so we'll see how this develops. Mainly lightning people that are going to be using lightning are people that, you know, it solves a problem for them today. Maybe some business that sends 500 transactions a day or a thousand transactions a day, and they want to decrease their uh, usage of the blockchain, then they might figure out a way to use lightning. Anyway, still watching this guys. Uh, tell me what you think. What, what's your favorite thing about the lightning network? And We'll see. All right, next. All right, let's get into the news items. Of course, we have to start out with Facebook. This week, they dropped the white paper and some other technical documents for their project called Libra, which is a kind of an SDR-ish token. I have a few points to summarize this. So let's just go through these quickly. I'm sure you guys have read yourself about this, or if not, you've heard it on other podcasts by now, but I'm, I have a little bit of extra take on this. I, I want to talk about it, but first here, here is what this Libra thing is. Uh, so it's a smart contract platform. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was going to be strictly a payments thing, but they are calling it a smart contract platform. And they specifically say that, you know, it's to build apps on top of. It's 100% controlled by a centralized group, of course. There are no defined blocks in the system. It's a ledger, so it's kind of similar to Ripple in that respect. They also have validators like Ripple, and uh, but it's a smart contract platform like Ethereum or maybe even Stellar. So these validators will, of course, have they'll be cost prohibitive to run them. Um, there probably only be a hundred to a thousand or so of validators out there because it is so cost prohibitive and they aren't getting paid. Maybe they will be paid in, in the system somehow, but you know, that's not, they're not miners, right? So there's no built in incentive for them. Um, they have a new programming language. This Libra is supposed to have a new programming language, very similar again to Ethereum, how they had solidity. Uh, but this Facebook's, 
programming language here seems to be more thought out, and I'm expecting it's going to be better than the one that the Ethereum guys wrote. They want to go full POS within a short period of time or whenever it's possible, maybe in a year or two. I think they have a goal of five years' time. So very similar, again, to Ethereum. They use gas to pay for computation, so Libra is supposed to be very similar to Ether and paying for computation on the blockchain. They don't talk about this too much, but they do say they could run into a problem with storage. You've seen on BSV now where somebody put some, uh, you know, child pornography onto the blockchain. And um, so there could be issues like that with this Libra. In the future, they might charge some sort of rent. So it actually costs you to keep information on the blockchain it's not a blockchain sorry on the database <laughs> uh, they claim to be open and pseudonymous like bitcoin so uh, of course permissionless innovation i doubt that's going to be the case also some sort of privacy like bitcoin offers but they will kyc you okay don't don't get it wrong here they are going to kyc you all right, so those are my kind of points on these papers. Immediately after they launched it, so the very first day that they dropped the white paper, regulators out of Europe and some regulators in the United States say, whoa, 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 I don't think so, Facebook. We got to talk about this, right? And I think the best possible outcome here is if the regulators force Facebook to change their plans or you know, ban them outright from doing their plans because that will send this signal that just like Liberty Reserve that uh, you cannot challenge the state's money. And if Facebook can't do it, then that means that these altcoins won't be able to do it either, right? If the Ethereum Foundation has their Ethereum network, if it gets too big, the government will not allow it to happen. If there's ever a possibility that you can get big, the government is going to come after you. We've started seeing a few government actions on the ICO side, but nothing yet, right? If you challenge the state, if like one of the reasons why a lot of these ICOs aren't being gone after by the, the government is because the government's laughing at them. They're like, huh, this is never going to work. It's never going to grow. Why waste our time? Because they don't care about the consumer. They just care about protecting their monopoly here, like their rules. If they see something that's going to undermine you know, their authority, they will go after it. This is the SEC. This is also the United States government. This is the all governments, all central banks. This is the same. If you challenge their monopoly on money, they will come after you. The reason why they can't do that in Bitcoin is because there is no one to go after. But of course, they will start going after Bitcoiners, large whales, but they can't go after Bitcoin itself, where they can go after Libra itself. They can go after Ethereum itself. They can go after um, Tron itself, itself or EOS or any of these other altcoins. Next item we have is, we'll go with Binance. So I, when I was on Adam Meister's show last Friday, uh, we talked about Binance. And I think I mentioned it on last week's Friday Fundamentals show. 
But the fallout here I see from this Binance stuff is okay. So if, for those that don't know, it's um they are kicking out U.S. customers and they're launching a U.S. version of their exchange that's going to be using their BNB token, their Binance token, and I guess their DEX stuff, but for U.S. customers only. I think this hurts, of course. This hurts the altcoins because this is where they launched. And I was listening to Marty Bent's uh, Rabbit Hole Recap, and he was saying that he thinks this altcoin-type business model uh, for exchanges is over. The altcoin casino business model is over. And I have been saying that for a year now. That is not going to be the same this time. The sheer number of altcoins are is not going to explode like it did with the ICO bubble. It's not. Those The China hustle people are on to the next thing. So it's not going to happen again like that. The whole business model of these altcoin casinos is shrinking. And of course, these are 100% speculation. And if you have a, if you have a coin that's supposed to pump 10x and you hold it for a year and all it does is go down, are you going to move on to the next one? That's a new narrative. That's a new coin out there that has new energy behind it. Maybe they have some new, um, press releases that they drop on you. Of course, you're going to change your investment over to the new coin and the old coins are going to die. There is not going to be enough to uh, prop up this whole thing. So the best investment over the next 24 months is going to be Bitcoin. It's not going to be any altcoin, um, especially with Ethereum. Like Ethereum, they admit their network doesn't work. That's why they have to make Ethereum 2.0. And Ethereum 2.0 is like seven phases and phase numbers, uh, phase zero is starting in January now of 2020. Like, it's just ridiculous. Phase one is going to be pushed back to the next January. And so when is, when is it ever going to actually be usable as what all these people are saying? It's not going to be. By the time the Ponzi runs out, right? But before they're, they run out of greater fools, it's over. They're not going to be able to keep it up. So this whole thing about altcoins is dead. It's dead. Ah, okay. Ran over. Next item. Let's get on to the Fed. So this week, guys, this week we had uh, Chairman Powell. He did not cut rates. There was some, a lot of speculation that he was going to cut rates by 25 basis points. That did not happen. Even though the day prior, the ECB, Mario Draghi, came out and said that they will do whatever's necessary that's his famous line from previous years that he's going to do whatever is necessary and they're going to have more accommodation so more quantitative easing so to keep up with the joneses everyone over that 24-hour period everybody thought that powell was going to cut rates that's what trump was pushing him to do and uh the market was kind of uh i think it was like 50 50 at the time uh, if it was going to be a rate cut or hold it even, I don't think anybody thought they were going to raise rates here. Um, but so what they did was they Chairman Powell kept it even and the dollar fell off a cliff. Two weeks ago in the newsletter, I said, hey, look, the dollar looks bearish. This could be the turning point. And I turned bearish on the dollar. 
I'd have to look at the chart here. Um, um, all right. We had back in, where was this? So um, I'm looking at the DXY chart. This isn't perfect dollar chart because it is weighted more significantly towards the euro and the yen and the pound. So if we look at this time frame, back in 2016-ish, they were going to start raising rates and everyone's like, oh my God, the dollar is going to go, the DXY is going to go to 120, blah, 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 blah. Vinny Lingham was one of the guys I remember specifically in the Bitcoin space. It was like the dollar is going to strengthen very considerably over the next couple of years. And I was like, dude, no way. <laughs> the dollar is going to weaken. And I think I made that call um, right around 100 in, at the end of 2016. And then after that, we saw a pretty steep decline down to 88. Um, and I was still bearish. Like I thought we were going to go all the way down to the low 80s. But uh, we turned around and then <laughs> back at like, I think it was last September-ish or end of next end of last year, somewhere in there, I turned bullish again. I said, okay, well, the, I think the dollar has another little while to go here on the bullish side. So I'm going to turn bullish. And I think I talked about the, all of these on the show, but I'm not, I'm not sure because I haven't talked about the dollars much, much as I should have. But, um, anyway, so I turned bullish there and I thought we were going to break out of a hundred. Um, but then two weeks ago, I was looking at the chart. It was looking like pretty iffy. There was this trade war happening. I've heard lots of stuff about uh, kind of insider information on that. And so I was like, dude, the dollar is going down. <laughs> the, I, I thought the dollar could turn bearish pretty quickly. And so in the report two weeks ago, I did post a dollar chart with several key lines that I thought needed to be broken. Right now, today, we broke the 200 day simple moving average on the dollar, which we had bounced off uh, three times prior. Um, on the weekly, we are seeing a massive bearish engulfing. <laughs> it's, it swallows up last week's bounce. It looks very bearish, guys. Um, of course, it always looks darkest before dawn. So this could mean like we're in for a huge bounce. I think, of course, they will manipulate as much as possible to get the dollar back up. Maybe the dollar won't be allowed to drop. But uh, to me right now, this looks like we're headed towards the low 90s on the dollar, uh, if not back into the 80s. So inflation is coming. Like I said on the last show, I believe inflation is coming. And with with a global economic crisis, right? Uh, a lot of people call this deflation because your asset prices go down. So, like, if you have a house that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, and the the price that you could sell that house for, even though you don't want to sell, but the the price that you could sell that house for uh, goes down to ninety, they call that deflation. But that's just asset price deflation. That's not actual. Like deflation, what we're, what we're actually going to see here is demand for dollars is going to go down. Demand for currency in general, I think is going to go down because the economic activity is going to go down. This, it sounds weird. It sounds like I don't know what I'm talking about, but 
Here's the thing. People thought that QE would be negative for the price or the value of currencies. It's not. In this upside down fucking world that we live in, QE is positive for the value of a currency. Now, how can that be? How can QE turn into being a positive? Well, it's fairly simple here. <laughs> it's, it's simple, but it's not approved. It's not an approved idea. Um, with the high amount of debt in the world, the only way that you can maintain a level of economic activity is through QE. If you stop QE, the economy crashes. And so think of the reverse of, um, argument with inflation. You know, if you have a hundred widgets and a hundred dollars chasing those widgets, then each widget would be a dollar. But if you have a hundred dollars chasing a hundred widgets, and then you take 50 widgets away, now you have more, instead of increasing the amount of dollars, you're decreasing the amount of widgets. So stopping QE right now is decreasing the economic activity, the economy so much that you get inflation. QE means there's going to be economic activity and economic growth. So people invest, people um, spend, people take out loans, people do this. And so just like QE happening means more economic growth coming. So there's more demand for that currency. If you tighten or if you don't accommodate when everyone else is accommodating, then you are seen as being the laggard. Your economy is the laggard. People don't want to hold your currency because you aren't going to be the center of economic growth. See, people want to hold the currency and they want to invest in the economy that has the economic growth. That economy is going to be the QE economies in this backwards fucking world because people can't hold money. They have to invest it. Where do you want to invest it? Do you want to invest your money where asset deflation is happening? Or do you want to invest your money where there uh, is QE propping up the asset prices? You know, that is the question. Overall, what we're going to see in my opinion, is we're going to see a de decrease in the demand for the dollar, not uh, like cash reserves. Like people can still flood into the dollar, flood into cash. You know, cash is king. They'll still go there um, during risk-off times. But we see them going into gold now. We see Bitcoin going up um, and we see the dollar going down because I believe this this is an inflationary environment. How are we supposed to even know that the Fed isn't printing a billion dollars a month and giving it out to people on shadow banking system on the down low? How do we know that? We don't know what happened during the financial crisis back in 09. How do we know it's not happening right now just because they freaking tell us because they put charts out that show their balance sheet? Those charts don't show the amount of money they printed during the financial crisis. Why would we think that it shows the amount of money they're printing today? Inflation is coming, people. Inflation is coming. And they're going to have very big problems because they're going to have inflation, the stagflation again. They're going to have inflation with no economic activity. And so what do you have to do? You have to raise your rates and who is going to raise their rates. Remember Volcker back in the early eighties raised 
the federal funds rate, I, I think it was 15%. It might've been a little bit higher than that, but like mortgage rates and stuff were getting up into, into the twenties in the early eighties. Imagine buying a house at 20% interest. This It's crazy to think about that. To, to stop stagflation, you need to really tighten those screws down. Or you can just go on and on and on and on like Japan. Stagflation forever. Japanification of the world. So are we going to have stagflation to infinity? I doubt it because you have places like Bitcoin to go. If you have consistent like 10% inflation rates, you're not going to hold dollars. You're not going to be investing in a stagnant economy. You're going to be investing in a vibrant Bitcoin economy. That's what I think. Inflation is coming. Stagflation is coming. The world is, we're all turning Japanese now. And that's it. All right. That's going to do it for me today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Ansel Linder. This is Bitcoin and Markets. If you'd like to support the show, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash support. Become a patron. Join the Discord. Get the newsletter. All good things. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.